Before we get to our text, um, I have to admit that one of my first concerts, not my first, my first one, I'm not even going to say what it is because I get made fun of all the time. Um, <laughs> one of my first concerts, and you still make, make fun of me for this, was Huey Lewis and the News. It also probably dates me pretty well. As a child of the 80s, Huey Lewis was a favorite of mine, and uh, when Megan and I uh, got married, we had a greatest hits CD that we would that we'd play uh, on our uh, housework day. You know, when you're, uh, you know, once a week or whatever, when we would do the housework, we'd we'd play Huey Lewis in the news, and we would uh, scrub you know toilets and you know all that kind of stuff that you have to do. But of course, what cemented Huey Lewis as one of my favorite bands of the '80s was the movie Back to the Future. And the theme song, Power of Love. And I could sing it for you now, but I won't. Um, This morning, I bring that up because the question before us is, what is the power of love? Or more importantly, actually, where does the power to love come from? This is our question for this morning. Where does the power to love come from? We often think of love as merely a feeling. It is a feeling, but it's even more than that. And if it is, where does the power to love people who we could find odd, curious, sometimes hurtful, or all kinds of other ways that we might describe people, where does that come from? Well, let's read 1 Peter 1, 22 through 25 to find out. 1 Peter 1, 22 through 25, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and All its glory, like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flower fails, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, your word that has been preached to us, the good news, your word that was made flesh in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, as we come to your word, we pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Lord, that our hearts would be renewed and transformed by your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we continue our series in First Peter titled, Exiles. Last week, we were in chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. We saw that our hope is often misplaced. And I joked that if you're a Steelers fan, that hope was misplaced in a powerful offense that has not yet to show up. When our hope is misplaced, living like Jesus is impossible. But when our hope is set fully on grace, we can live like Jesus in obedience, in holiness, by His blood. And this morning, as we come to our text, we, it flows out of 
last weeks, and we need to be honest with ourselves. Even those of us with the best motives, the biggest hearts, and most caring personalities don't love one another as we ought. This past week, I did some uh, training to, uh, to be a, a coach, to coach younger pastors. And we did a lot of personality and character assessment and things like that. And my personality uh, on the strength uh, finder, or not on the uh, right path inventory that we, that, we, that we used, is an encourager. I am a, a counselor in the DISC profile. I have what you'd say a caring personality, and yet if I am honest, there's oftentimes that I find it really hard to love others. Not even just the way, not the way that even the scriptures say that I should love others, <laughs> but just as a responsible human being that I should love others. And that's where our passage this morning is coming at us. We don't love one another as we ought. This isn't to say that some of us are more naturally loving and show this love to others better than many others do. There's certainly those of us that do that. Some of you show your love for others with great ease, and yet the best of us don't love one another as we ought. And the reason I know this to be true is that no matter how much you show your love to someone else, often they don't return that love in ways that you would desire, the ways that you would wish. We often love because we desire love, not out of selflessness. So when we're called to love, not just someone we're captivated by or someone who we know will return that love, but we're called to love the difficult, the strange, the sometimes what we think of as unlovable. We wonder what kind of love this can really be. And as Huey Lewis tells us, the power of love is a curious thing. It's curious because it's more than a feeling. But that's what we often think of love. We think of it as merely a feeling. But Peter says that since we have been born again, we can love one another. That's our main point this morning. Since we have been born again, we can love one another by obeying the truth from a pure heart and through the word. This loving of one another becomes more than merely a feeling. It's not less than a feeling, but it is way more than a feeling. Since we've been born again, we can love one another by obeying the truth from a pure heart and through the word. Peter stresses that the gospel grants life. You are born again, he says, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living, endearing Word of God. He's comparing the human reality of birth, of perishable seed, to imperishable, that we are born anew, as the Greek could be translated. It is by the Spirit of God, He grants His people a new and second life. 
The theological term for this is regeneration. Paul says that we were dead in our transgressions and sins, but that God made us alive with him in Christ in Ephesians chapter 2. In regeneration, God, the Holy Spirit, quickens the mind, opens our eyes, and renews our will. The renewed person comprehends the gospel and is attracted to it. So they come to Jesus freely and willingly. And Peter says this is obeying the truth, verse 22. The phrase obeying the truth is an important one for us to understand. Peter does not say that we obey a command, though we do obey the commands of God. He says we obey the truth. In the entire uh, epistle to the Galatians, the truth, that phrase means the gospel. Elsewhere in the New Testament, uses the parallel phrase, the word of truth with the gospel. And so when Peter declares that we purify ourselves by obeying the truth, he means that we purify ourselves when we believe the gospel, which is the word of truth. To believe is to obey. To obey the gospel is also found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and in 1 Peter chapter 4. And the assertion of the person and the work of Jesus implies that we should trust and follow him. So the apostles say that we should obey the gospel. Obedience and belief are one in the same in the New Testament. We obey the truth and we believe the gospel that Peter is declaring. Jesus is God's anointed, the Savior He suffered and shed his innocent blood, died and rose and promised to restore all things that we saw back in uh, in, earlier in chapter one and verses three through nine. We obey the truth when we believe that Jesus died as a sacrifice for sin and that God raised him from the dead and glorified him. What we saw last week in verse 21, we obey the gospel when our faith and hope rest in Jesus Christ who bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, which Peter will tell us in chapter 2. Looking at life through the lens of the gospel is part of obeying the truth. We obey the truth and we know we are justified by grace and we are made more like Jesus or sanctified by grace. In Romans 1, 16, the gospel, Paul says, is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. So then the gospel is the truth of God that brings the power and the glory of God to all who believe. This leads us from this idea of obeying the truth or believing the gospel as the power that comes from a pure heart in verse 22. Peter says that the gospel empowers moral change, specifically the ability to love our brothers and sisters, he says, from the heart. As we've talked about in the past, in the Hebrew mind, the heart is the seat, the center of human emotion, of character, of substance. It's the essence of our being. And so Peter is talking about this 
empowerment, of change, to love one another from this place, not from the organ that pumps blood through our body, but from this place of, of being. You know, many Christians believe that the gospel is kind of the starting point of the Christian life. Like, it's the first step in the journey. I, I believe the gospel. I've believed the gospel. The gospel saved, of Jesus saved me, which is true. But it's not something that we get past. It's not something that we leave behind. The gospel isn't the, the first step, and then there's all these other steps that the gospel has nothing to say or to do in our lives. Instead, the gospel isn't the first step of many. It is actually the core of our being. It is the, the core of our, of our heart, of that essence, of that emotion, of that character, of that substance of who we are. It is the power plant of the Christian life. Ezekiel, in Ezekiel uh, 36, 26, the prophet Ezekiel puts it this way, uh, speaking God, uh, God speaking through the, the prophet, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. In our passage, Peter states that God uses the gospel to change the heart. So we are pure and we love one another deeply he says, from the heart. Just as our physical heart pumps and brings the power of oxygenated blood to our brain, to our organs and muscles, so the essence of our being, our heart transformed by the gospel pumps gospel power to our mind, soul, and strength that we may love as Christ has loved us. The Holy Spirit, and out of this pure heart, liberates the will from its bondage to sin and cleanses the heart. He grants us new affections, which drive out old desires. In his famous sermon, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection, Thomas Chalmers says that we do not cease to love the world by a mere demonstration of the world's insignificance. He says, we don't just change our love because we, we see that things are just, they don't work the way they should, or they don't provide what they should. The heart will always love something. The heart needs another more alluring thing to love. and another that is more worthy of our affection. Nothing else creates new life and new energies. No one believes or obeys the gospel apart from the work of God. And so this expulsive power of the new affection is this affection in Jesus Christ of the, of the gospel that brings new life, this new thing that is so much better, so much greater, so much more lovely, so much more powerful. and expels from our heart our old affections. You 
We've been born, since we've been born again, we can love one another and obeying the truth from a pure heart. And P- Peter wraps this up by telling us that it's through the word, verses 23 through 25. God ordinarily works. His spirit ordinarily works to regenerate the human spirit as a man, woman, or child reads or hears the word of God. Peter states that, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Peter declares that the scripture which makes the gospel known is imperishable, living, and enduring. So it will always have the power to give life. Because scripture is God's word, it shares his attributes. It endures forever. Right? The, the prophet Isaiah, which Peter uh, is, is quoting so that human life is at best like flowering grass. It's beautiful. It's splendid for a season, but it is short-lived. And the brevity of life could lead us to despair. But that shortness of life does not drive Peter to despair. Although all flesh is like grass, God and his word stand forever. And this, Peter says, is the word that was preached to you. As the word that was preached to those in dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, uh, Asia, uh, Asia, sorry, Asia, and Bithynia, Bithynia. Shoo, easy for me to say this morning. He is preaching. Said that the good news that was preached to you is this good news that has given life and gives the power of this new affection, the ability to love one another as we have been loved. It is the word preached to you and to me. Because we believe the gospel word, because that word unites us to the risen Jesus, it's imperishable and unfading. It's an inheritance kept by God that we heard from Peter earlier in chapter 1 that awaits us. God's eternal word creates eternal life, right? God's word is creative, right? We, we see that in the very beginning. He speaks and it is done. He speaks and it is brought into existence. He commands and it stands fast, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the word of the Lord, the stars were set in place. God's word is his vocalized breath. It goes forth with the power of his spirit. The word of the gospel is God's call. It communicates, but it also creates. It creates a new, a new birth, a new life, a new power, a new affection. Love is both a feeling and a way of life. 
Peter says that the gospel both purifies the heart and teaches us to love. What response is consistent with the gospel? The gospel says that we are the beloved of the Father, regardless of our achievements, regardless of the great things we have done, regardless of our checking account, regardless of our intellect, regardless of our good deeds, regardless of anything that we might say is good. We are the beloved. And what response follows that? Love. It's a way of life. Love is what fulfills the law, Jesus said in Matthew 22. If we love others, we respect them, we promote their lives, we honor them and their property, we tell the truth, we seek their good, not our own. Right? That is what Jesus says. The the law is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. That is the law of love. Peter describes this love first. It is sincere and deep. It is affectionate and heartfelt, earnest without pretense. It is brotherly, sisterly, not calculating. It has no thought of gaining something in return. It is deep. It is wide. It is the same word that is used where, he, where Peter says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. It is that same word where Jesus on the night he was betrayed was stretched, earnest in prayer before, the heaven, before his heavenly father. It is strenuous and enduring. Ed Clowney, one time professor at Westminster Seminary, sums it up this way. The love that binds the redeemed flows from the love of the Redeemer. Christian love is the love of grace, the love of compassion. For such love to appear, the pride and selfishness of our alienation from God must be swept away. They must be replaced by a heart made new with the motivations of grace. Peter shows how both needs are to be met is the word of God, the good news of the gospel that is the means both of our new birth and of our nature in holiness. Because God's love is the source of ours, the message of his love is what kindles ours. Christian love is born as Christians are born through the truth of the gospel. Since we have been born anew, we can love one another obeying the truth from a pure heart through the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have loved us. Lord, that you have loved us beyond all understanding. You have loved us fully into the end. 
You've loved us while we were yet sinners, while we were yet your enemies. Lord, we pray that you would, by your Spirit, give us your love by the power of the gospel at work in us. May we love one another as you have loved us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.